name is Tiga, and you're listening to Last Party on Earth. Over the next hour, I'll be asking the ultimate DJ question. It's your last set ever. What do you play? Joining me this week, Annie Mack. As a world-renowned DJ, broadcaster, and tastemaker, I'll be asking her about what she'd be spinning right before the world stops spinning. Last. Annie Mack, broadcaster, DJ, ambassador, is it too early for me to say legend? And a great friend. Annie has tirelessly championed the music of so many of us over the years with her impeccable taste, oftentimes when nobody else would. We sat down together at the legendary Fish Shack in Ibiza to talk about her music, her life, and most importantly, having fun. This is Annie Mack on Last Party on Earth. Aretha Franklin came up in the interview and has sadly since passed away. Annie, we are here today to talk about DJing, uh, some of what goes into DJing, the art and science, as well as your dream party, which just so happens to be your last party ever. That's the catch. That's the deal I am offering. So it's what your dream party would sound like, look like, and I guess what it would feel like for you. And to begin with, so first of all, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me to Fish Shack. Yeah, we are, we are, in, we are at Fish Shack and it is ridiculously hot. It's oppressively hot. I'm, so I'm dripping sweat. Just know that when I speak to you. Dripping I'm, sweat. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm not, I'm not good at thinking in the heat. And, I, and all I have to do right now is think. I'll do my best. So to begin with, what is a party that actually, the old cliche, a party that changed your life? So, I grew up in Dublin and I, I was 17 years old and there was a nightclub in Dublin called the Temple of Sound. And my parents were pretty strict. I wasn't really allowed out, like, till super late or anything, but I basically negotiated with them that I could go out into town as long as I was home for 4 a.m. How old were you? 17. So I went out with my two pals, Simon and Keith, to this club. I'd never been properly clubbing before. Um, and I had the best night of my life. I, I went into this room. I don't remember who was DJing. I just remember the music. I remember being on a podium. I remember seeing all these people from school that I just didn't know very well. Um, the cool girls, the cool girl crew in my year were in, okay. were in there and we were all like hugging. We were all as one. Okay. It's like, wow, this is like this whole other world, this whole other club of people. And then I remember going home and I was drenched in sweats. My, my entire <laughs> clothes like, were wet. Much like. Trousers, much like now. <laughs> and I remember weighing myself. And I was four pounds lighter than I was when I left. Sold. Because, you know, when you're a 17-year-old girl, you weigh yourself a lot. So I remember being like, Jesus, that was, how did I, because I just danced for three, four hours solid. So that was a real life-changing night out for me. That was a kind of door opened into a world that I really wanted to, to uh, explore. And that was the beginning of me wanting to go clubbing all the time. Did you... When you got home, I mean, did you have that feeling like that that you, obviously you wanted more of it, but did you feel like you could be a part of that? Like, did you make that connection right away that maybe this was something that you could get involved in? 
or, ne- or was it more thought. just pure as a, was it like did it start more as a punter or, or how quickly till you made that connection total punter okay. total punter and it was like that for a while because then I moved to Belfast and I started going to this nightclub called Shine as a punter and it wasn't until I was working there for quite a while just doing tickets on the door and stuff it wasn't until maybe about a year in that I was watching a set I was watching DJ Sneak play and he played Armand Van Helden You Don't Know Me and I, I was sitting on this stool because I was, I was the person in charge of making sure people didn't go back to the green room so I was sitting on this stool underneath the decks just watching him and watching, the, watching him move the crowd basically and I remember I had really bad tonsillitis I was hating my life and I just remember watching the crowd, like, you know, you know when, a, when a DJ drops a song and the crowd, they have this surge of energy. It's like, it's beyond noise. It's like a kind of kinetic energy. Yeah. And I remember being like, that is, what, what he can do is amazing. And that was the first time I thought maybe I could, okay. maybe I could do this. Maybe, I, maybe this is for me. Yeah, I th- I, did you ever, I have a feeling sometimes, do you ever feel you're still kind of running on that energy? Yeah. You know, like the, those first experiences, yeah. you get there's like a flame. Yeah. And I sometimes feel I'm still nourished yeah. by, by that, you know, yeah. like that. And it's, it's very it never powerful. Gets tired. No, never. it doesn't. No. Um, when did you start DJing? When so, and what was your first show? When I was in. Professional. First yeah. money exchange. Oh, God. When I was in Queen's University, I had a big group of friends, all guys, who were all proper music nerds. We used to swap records. I bought my first set of records off a guy called Mickey Murphy for a hundred pounds with a massive box of techno records that he, he loved techno, everyone loved techno in Belfast. And I spent the whole summer on the dole in this little kind of loft apartment learning how to mix um, really badly. So this is, what age were you there? I was what 18. Then? Okay, so it's quickly. Yeah, 18, 19. And then I moved to London and I used to play house parties, um, <laughs> you know, just play at people's houses. But my brother was in a band and I moved in with his band and um, had a crazy few years living with them. And he was very supportive of me as a DJ. So my first actual gig was playing for warm up. <laughs> I like the first gig ter- stories of the best. Playing warm up for his band in this tiny little basement jazz club in central London. Um, and I remember, like, I used to scratch. I used to think I could scratch. Scratch or and you think know, you like, could scratch? And you know, like, Primal Scream Loaded, like, everybody, you know, the, we want to be free. Free, Everyone here free, to have a good free, time. Yeah, yeah. Free, free. I was like, we, eh, 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 like, awful. Yep. Embarrassingly awful. I did that. I have, it on, I have it on some tapes. And you listen to the tape back and you're like, please stop. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> and, always goes, and it goes, like, four times longer than you ever remember doing it. Enough. I know, I know, I got it, I got it. Just yeah. So that was the first time I DJ like on a stage, um, kind of in front of people, and, and and it felt good. But it was also problematic because they were giving out hash cookies on the way in. Okay. And like about two thirds of the way through my set, just watching the vinyl go around started making me really dizzy, and I was like, this isn't good. I'm feeling like. I might be sick. And oh. so it didn't end well. It ended with me like having a whitey and having That's to like leave. A whitey on a first pro whitey, sh- whitey mean, on a on. first pro show. Come on. But then actually when I got my radio show, a radio one, and I was a proper dance DJ, because I still when I started I played everything. I played rap and I played, you know, all sorts. 
But when I was a proper dance DJ, the first club that had me back was actually Shine, which was the club that I oh, I stamped people in prodigal, and worked for. So. The return. Yeah, so that was really nerve-wracking for me, but also really um, but those are amazing, enriching the, the returns. experience. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I said I wouldn't talk about myself, but I had I had the big return to Love Bread. Like I went back to, I had been to Love Bread in like '92 at this famous club Eberk. Yeah. And I went back as a DJ like in 2002 or something. Yeah. And it was just every dream. Yeah. Every and you're so nervous. So yeah. yeah. It's an amazing feeling actually. Yeah. So okay, so how many? You don't have to tell me exactly. So, how many years around have you been DJing? Well, I started. DJing. You're 27 now. You started <laughs> at, at 18. <laughs> that's, no. that's, what is that? I'd say, you know what? I'd say it's been, but since I've been DJing professionally, you know, as a as a dance music DJ, it's been about 14 years. And how many shows a year do you think you do? Or I mean, it's around. progressively less. So when I started, I I, I gigged hard and I t- traveled hard and I toured hard. But now I do not a lot of shows at all. I don't know. Maybe like. I, I, I couldn't even tell you. 30 so probably, shows, 40 shows, not a lot. Okay, so you've still done over 1,000 shows. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's yeah, I did a lot back in the day. Yeah. So you're about to... So this is going to be your last party ever. You're going to kiss goodbye. 15 years and 1,500 shows yeah. and all the records and the record shopping and the selection and the choices. For one... This is the hardest for thing. One, I know, it's brutal. It's so brutal. this is for one big magical set. So let's start with the music. What is your opening track? So my opening track is Donna Summer, Dim All the Lights, the 12-inch version. There's many reasons for it. Um, I'll tell you the first time I heard it. I actually heard it in, a, in Ibiza, in a club called Amnesia. I was, it was a Radio 1 broadcast and Zane Lowe had been DJing and Zane Lowe's got this kind of fast and furious style of DJing like scratching and shouting on the mic and like all like really dynamic and uh, Justice came on after them, after him and they just kind of stepped forward and the room was rammed and they had their cigarettes and their leather jackets and they were so kind of cool. nonchalant whatever skinny cool guys and just press play on this disco record that sounded so vastly different from everything Zayn had been playing it's kind of like you know the kind of bro bro step years yeah. you know, there's a lot of kind of gnarly abrasive music and then they just came on with this and the whole club just stopped no one knew what to do because it's got this big long long intro you know she's singing she's kind of setting up the scene and then it slowly starts to kick in um, and it's kind of a statement of intent, you know, her, it's her singing about the fact that we're going to have a great time tonight, we're going to have a party, it's time to dim the lights, we're going to forget about everything and we're going to, we're going in, together. So I love the lyrics of it, but most of all, I loved the absolute fearlessness of them. Yeah. And that's what I respect the most in DJing, is a DJ who just doesn't care and, and can, can play something with a kind of confidence to just to know that it's a good record and not care and the room did clear it, everyone was like what's going on and then slowly it filled up again but I remember thinking this is so this is so cool this is so cool and from then on I've always loved that record I actually didn't know that record <laughs> do you like it? I do like it and it's interesting there's a few things there's a few talking points okay um <laughs> Well, first of all, I'm happy you brought up uh, justice and that feeling, because that 
I guess, confidence. Mm -hmm. the, the, you said fearlessness or the confidence. It seems to be such a critical part of DJing, mm -hmm. like maybe the most important mm -hmm. thing, you know? And Conviction. Conviction. And I don't know if people, you know, this is, this is part of why I'm interested in talking to DJs about this, because I don't know if people out there in the crowd understand how much DJs wrestle with that. Mm. You know, like yeah. I, I think with, with re that it isn't always automatic and it isn't mm. so easy and that you, you do have records you love that for some reason you're hesitant about playing and you are unsure sometimes of the circumstances and I know I struggle with it and I have a feeling everybody does, you know. So just, yeah, how important that confidence is and how it makes a difference. Do you, how would you rank yourself in terms of... In my fearlessness levels? Yes. Yeah, I've like got, like the, yeah. that that just that, but especially that the patience, the ability to like they know you might lose them at the beginning, yeah. but this isn't an instant. This isn't a. It's the threshold, the pain threshold. You know how many minutes <laughs> how you're willing. You how long can you bear? <laughs> Of, of mediocre reaction and how confident are you in your ultimate conviction and your, your long-term plan? Yeah. Well, I've had, I've had such a strange DJ career because I became this kind of main stage festival DJ. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, which, which, which and, I, and I don't mean like a festival DJ, main stage festival DJ at like the, the kind of underground death dance festivals. It's not at like the deck mantles of this world. It's at the you know, park life festivals and love box festivals and these these big kind of cross genre festivals. So I've had a really weird journey where I've had to kind of I've had to kind of learn how to play as an entertainment DJ. Yes. You know, like Fat Boy Slim would be the only DJ that would be doing these kind of sets, that, that level sets. Yeah. And he's like a showman. I DJed with him once, sorry. Oh he put a God. chicken on a turntable. See? I, I came I, on after I hadn't, there was nothing, there was nothing in my file, in you my folder selection. In no, I had, I had nothing, yeah. no uh, plan for the, yeah. the post chicken. And I suffer from extreme self-consciousness when I do that. Like, I find it very, very difficult it to DJ difficult. on a stage because ultimately I don't feel like I'm worthy to be standing uh -huh. there playing records to tens of thousands of people when that's all I'm doing. And I, I'm not the showman that Fatboy Slim is. I, I don't have that in me. I don't natural, have that show off. I can get drunk, and sometimes I do when I'm that nervous just to get me up there and get me through it. But I do find those, like, really stressful. My favorite gigs are the ones where... I think any DJ's favorite gig is where you are kind of in a dark room. There's no spotlight on you. For instance, I played Shine's 20th mm. anniversary just a few weeks back. And that was one of my top five gigs ever because it was a black box... There was no spotlights. It was just great, great lighting that wasn't all about me. It used to be easier, I it think. It was a really open-minded crowd, mm. and I could play whatever I wanted, and they were there for it. So in those situations, I'm happy to be fearless, I, and it gives me great joy. It's yeah. one of my most... Um, it's what makes me excited as a DJ and it's what makes you still learn as a DJ because you want to keep learning you have yes. to keep learning in life so when you're able to play stuff you haven't played and take risks and experiment that's what makes it exciting but the main stage gigs I've um you know, my boyfriend always says, like, you, you still get up there and you don't play the hits mm. and I guess I don't play the obvious hits so I am still well, it's, a, ba it's a balancing it's a balance, act that you only yeah. really appreciate when you're in the position you know? yeah I remember when I was younger, I would, I would, I there were DJs that I loved. I'm actually kind of haunted by this. I remember my favorite DJ when I was like a kid. I was like 16, just a Montreal guy, and I remember 
I knew he had incredible records. Like I knew he owned and had incredible records and I would go here and play and he wouldn't play the incredible records. You know, he would play some crowd records and then one record that I waited for. Yeah. And I remember I was always like puzzled and I remember telling myself like I was never going to become like that. You know, I'd be okay. so uncompromising. But then the realities are they're, they're I don't want to say politics, but there it does there are a lot of compromises once you get up on those giant stages. Yeah. It yeah, is part it of is. the it's a balance. And it's a wrestle. Act. It's a yeah. wrestle because Well I'm happy to hear someone else wrestles. No, I'm wrestle oh my god, and the internal dialogue, like the, the stuff that goes on in my head mm -hmm. when I'm DJing, I always think God you could so write. So do you a book. think <gasps> while you're DJing? Oh. You do? I oh. never thought I never I would say I never thought while I was DJing till like two thousand thirteen. Well, having just DJed with you... Yeah? Was I thinking? <laughs> were, we didn't stop talking the we whole talking. way through. That was different. It was a constant dialogue. Yeah, that's back to back. It was so funny. But I, I have, this, in, I have this internal dialogue that is constant. Really? It's constant. It's like, what am I doing here? I can't dance. Look at them. That guy's on his phone. He's having <gasps> the worst time. Oh, my God. Like, constant. Okay. And it's, okay. a lot of it is because when I was younger, I used to have a few drinks. And then when you get older and you have to go home and there's kids at home, you know, you just can't, you have to professionalize what you do at some point. So, you know, when you're not drinking, you're so much more lucid in your head and everything is more. I went know. in the complete opposite direction. I had never had a sip of alcohol or smoked a joint or anything while DJing for probably almost 20 years. Wow. Never. And, and, I, and I didn't understand the people who did. And then kind of recently as real life kind of sank its mm. talons into me and I mm. started then I was like oh my god like all of a sudden the most obvious thing in the world became clear that like <laughs> no no you need you need something yeah I know it sounds incredibly naive yeah do you have a do you have a pre-show ritual I mean is there a process is there a specific process like what do you what are you doing usually 10 minutes before you go on I'm pretty I'm pretty okay. I'm just eager to get on. I don't like hanging around too much because I get really, really nervous. Mm. So you get nervous. I don't like nervous. watching the DJ before me, really, unless it's unless it's a good club like at Shine. I played after Heidi, and I knew I would just enjoyed her. Um, but a lot of the time, I'll just I'll just get there. Ten minutes. My motto is straight in, straight on. That's good. Straight in, straight on. I give my tour managers. You know, they don't like it because I like to arrive five minutes before straight on and then just play and then I can hang out and enjoy myself after if I want but oh, there's yeah. no ritual just just no, get on just go just get on there was one thing actually I want to say about the Donut Summer track I'm going to try to articulate it it's complicated for me but I think you probably know me you probably so when I hear that Donna Summer record which I don't like like that much like mm -hmm. me personally mm -hmm. but what I recognize is like it's a fun record it's mm. a party record mm. and for me when I hear it and this is completely subjective I hear like such an honest and unashamed and I associate it with UK I don't know why really? like party spirit like yeah. we are all here to have fun mm. then what I think is I'm like well what's wrong with me because <laughs> because I don't I don't have any records that are that much fun. Yeah, it's okay it's to okay play to fun just, stuff. It's okay. it's okay to do that. <laughs> I, I am, I am, I am that person. I have always been attracted to the records that are kind of inherently joyous. I think it's a, um, an amazing thing. Uh, maybe it's a reflection of a personality as well. Maybe it's I don't know. I've I've always been happy to play happy records, or or records I'm very emotive. You know, records that 
you know, like the one I'm picking as my last record tonight, the oh, ones yeah, that we'll have, you know, chord sequences that make you want to like break down and cry. Yeah. Those ones, you know, I, I it's like maybe I just I just like feeling if a music that evokes emotions in you like Definitely. that. Oh, it's yeah, it's it's I, I, I need to work on it a little bit. So let's get to your peak time selection. OK, so you've got the party, your dream party. It's going. Yeah. And you've led the people to the mountaintop, and now. Well, I mean, this was the hardest one because it's, this, you know, it, so, do you it's pick something new? Do you pick, like it's just so hard. But I, I was just kind of looking through my playlists and stuff, and I picked Prince and Controversy, the long version with the Lord's Prayer in the middle, and I think that's one of like it's a very very tough track. It's a it's a slamming track. You know, it's like it's a fucking techno record it's the best record it's unbelievable it's so sexy it's it's again just what he's saying about he's everyone should be rude there should be no rules there should be no black and white it's just the most kind of incredible message of like fuck religion fuck the rules be you be what you want to be it's 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 prince it's everything about prince in one song it's like am i gay am i straight who cares fuck yeah. you stop yeah. talking about me you know and also just the music it's so um it's just kind of raw energy you know there's not this quite simple the song's not loads yeah. going on but it's like a dance record so it's just hypnotic i have to say i mean it's one of my all-time i was so happy when i saw it on the list it's like <laughs> it's not only one of my all-time favorite records but everything you said was perfect because it is yeah. essentially a techno record yeah it's a stripped down record yeah there's nothing in that record that doesn't have to be there yeah. there's nothing superfluous that it's yeah. just it's almost minimal in yeah. its way. And uh, just on a personal level, I, it, it is embarrassing how many times I've been in studio <laughs> with new people. I mean, the first time I worked with Soul Wax, the first time I worked with Jay Murf James yeah. Murphy, and I will play controversy. I'll be like, let's make something like this. I want to make a record <laughs> a little bit like this. <laughs> and it's but the interesting thing about controversy, every time, it's funny because musos don't like controversy like a lot of people I mean don't, I won't say don't like but yeah. I've heard a lot of people push back because it's quite simple yeah. and I think the people that love controversy nah. it's it is really a dance record mm. it, it shows that you're really it's yeah. like a dance music yeah. record anyway it's just a it's, it's an unbelievably good choice yeah thank you I'd like thank to be you. at that party good good okay so I had asked what a secret record that you've been saving you know yeah. something that you <laughs> You, you haven't played or you think, you know, and the reason I put that question is because that's something I wrestle with a lot. I have records. I actually, I have, I played a record the other day that I've been saving for 23 years. Why I, do you save your so, records? Okay, so this is, so yeah. on the surface level, it's quite a simple question. You answered, and I loved your answer, which yeah. was that, you know, in broadcasting and how you DJ, that you're, you're essentially about sharing. My whole ethos is to be a conduit okay. and share. So what we're really talking about here is generosity, yeah. right? What we're talking about but is... But it's also DJ culture because there's a big culture within DJing of hold... Like, you know, that's yeah. your weapon. That's yeah, yeah. Well, having that's how I grew up. I grew up with putting yeah. markers and yeah. stickers on your records. Yeah. You would never... Yeah. Which yeah. worked well with which me because I, I, I was... I think I was also a bit of a selfish mm. character. I was a bit like that anyway. Yeah. But I'm very intrigued because I've... Lately, I've started a thing. It fits in with what you said. I mean, I have two questions really. One is why specifically that record why because you said you know you hadn't played it or maybe not as much as you'd like to so i think to to touch so people understand the process of when you do hold back from a record you love yeah what is it what what is why don't you play the record more 
Well, it's a, it'll be a totally different reason for me than it is for everyone else because, as I said, it's you know I know in DJ culture. The more records that you have that other people don't, that means the more kind of arsenal you have. You know, you it's it's kind of like it's your it's your calling card. You want people to be like hearing your records and not knowing what you're playing, being like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, is she what playing? is that? What is that? So, because my job is to broadcast music to everyone every week and to essentially share music, I have got the opposite ethos of that, where which is like I just want to. I just want to get it out yeah. and that's my favorite bit of what I do is playing stuff to people that haven't heard I, it I think in general though the world really caught up to that though yeah. because that's that, that ethos of, of not sharing something seems to have almost vanished yeah I mean in general yeah so and I think again it's how con you know music consumption has changed as well you know mm -hmm. when you had a record and there was only a hundred of them made then no one else could get that record I and had, now it's different I had Defunk remember <gasps> I had Defunk white label one of like five in North oh America God. for three weeks it was like the best three weeks of my life <laughs> <laughs> for three weeks I was like a, 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 I was like I was a genuine contender for three weeks <laughs> So, yeah, the record I picked is 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 more not not a record. I mean, it's not a super secret record. People who know it will know it, but it's more just a record that I haven't played that I would kind of love to play. But for example, I mean, just specifically that one, why well, haven't you I played it? Like, I feel the like I feel like Pevin crowd. Everett is a guy who is is still very much a secret. Obviously, you know, pe a lot of people will know about Pevin Everett because of Roy Davis Jr. Gabrielle mainly, but I think that he's still essentially a well-kept secret in the world of dance music. Um, I didn't know his name. You didn't? No. He's incredible singer, pianist, and all-time like Chicago artist. And yeah, I just I just love his voice so much. So Roy Davis Jr. was my introduction to him, and then I went and discovered a bit more. And there's a tune called Pat, "Put You Back Into It." Quentin Harris re-edit, which I think is from. 2007 and uh, I love it I lo it's just that, that it, it's very UK sounding to me well, that kind of soulful kind of steppy house really warm super warm and obviously his voice is amazing so I just haven't played it because well I've never played it out um, and I'd like to play it out someday I will now we come Annie to the end of the night I have a feeling you, like me, having grown up like with those early powerful club experiences, you really, I mean, the end of the night is really what it's kind of about. And the closing record is reserved for like a whole different category of records. There's only certain records that can live up to that moment, right? At a great, I mean, at a great party, closing record, there's only, there's a handful. I mean, there's certain kinds of records that have what it takes. Tell me a little bit. You're allowed two closing yes. records. And they're so it's extremely It's very, very different. special. It's, it's a special honor. You're allowed two. I know you struggled with it. So tell me about the records you're picking to okay. close this final party, potentially the last record you ever play okay. in your life. So the first record is DJ Rolando, Knights of the Jaguar. And that was the record for me that was my ed education and kind of epiphanal moment about learning about techno music it was like this is i get it i mm -hmm. get it it clicked completely for me and i heard it at shine again when i was in my late teens and for me it, it's it's what i was saying about a music that can you know move you in profound ways um 
so simple, but also so complex in terms of the arrangements within it, but the strings, just the overall sound of those records are so kind of warm and the yeah, the strings just, just every time get me I just love it. It builds and builds and builds and it's made me cry on the dance floor. And I feel like as a last wow. record it's kind of it's nearly celestial, you know? It's kind of transformative this record. Says Knights of the Jaguar. Which mm. I'd like to add I not only did I not like it at the time, mm. but I remember thinking like what's the big deal? Like why is everyone playing this record? Which puts me I always struggled with Detroit records, but but I, I can I think I was just immature. Yeah. Like actually immature. So you struggled with Detroit records in general? Yeah. Just records from Detroit? Yes. Well not I didn't it wasn't like I wasn't singling them out because but but the the things that we now think of I mean not now, the things that they are like the strings in general, I, I struggle with strings. I just don't like strings generally. No, no, I know, I know. I know it puts me, I've had fights with all my friends. I mean, I know I'm wrong, kind of. I, I, but also, and the, the more soulful, jazzy, freer, all the things that I actually gradually grew to like. But yeah. at the time, no. I think it was a lack of sophistication. But, um, but what's obviously so stunning about a record like Jaguar, which... And especially like people who've never, you know, if you haven't, when, once you get in a studio and you try to make a record, like mm. an instrumental record especially, mm. to, to make a record that can make somebody cry, yeah. like to have that impact, but without any, I mean, it's got a hook, obviously, but without, it doesn't resort to no. any of the easy so ways to do it. And subtle. it's so, and yeah. that's like really the beauty of dance music, yeah. you know, like yeah. really, really it that's, is. That's what I meant in that it's like learning what the power of dance music, what it can do. Mm in its most base yeah. base way and also it's too I'm reminded of like what they say about meditation yeah it's like simple but not easy yeah you know Absolutely. it's a it's a it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a beautiful thing yeah. okay so from Rolando into a record because you were given two yeah I mean this is a dodgy one for the last not record dodgy. This, this is the kind of record that I would play I, the thing is it depends on the party like if it was in a club, you play this, at your funeral. This, wouldn't be, this wouldn't be the record. This is the record I'm playing at my funeral. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's yes. a funeral. So this is, this is more than last party, it's, but it's, it's more, the same it's more spirit. Last life party. On life Earth. party. Yeah. But um, also, if it was like a wedding or something, I'd play it. You know, that kind of more family vibes. But for me, I grew up with Van Morrison. So my parents listened to it all the time. Astral Weeks was constantly on in our car. I have vivid lovely memories of being crushed up in the back of the car with all my brothers and sisters with Van Morrison on driving to the countryside um, so it's kind of been a permanent voice he's been a permanent mm. voice in my house and whenever I think of him I think of home like immediately it's mm. that kind of you know just that connection you're lucky to have that association I know right it's amazing yeah um, but sweet thing is what I've chosen as a record, I think is the most beautiful record lyrically I've ever heard. Yeah. It's poetry. And because I spent three years in Belfast, the whole Astral Weeks record is basically Van Morrison's love letter to Belfast. Mm -hmm. um, Cypress Avenue exists. I went there. Did you? I did a pilgrimage. Oh my God. I did a pilgrimage oh and God. sat by the thinking of myself sitting in a car, you know, oh like, my God. I, I did it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's kind of like written from the perspective of someone who left Ireland and, you know, a lot of, you know, Ireland has got this rich history of, of emigration. So many people have left and gone all over the world and you, your kind of hunger for your country and your hunger to 
you know, cling on to your identity grows stronger the further you move away from your country, you know. It means more to you when you're not there. So I get why he would be writing love letters to his mm. city. Um, and yeah, so this song, man, this song, well, it's, just it's like... like <laughs> it's, you know, to, it's really, I was thinking there's a weird similarity between both the Knights of the Jaguar record and this because they're both celestial. Like, Van Morrison is... It borders on the on the divine. It's yeah. like it, it's transcendental. It, there's no kind of the music is so complex. The arrangements are so complex. I don't understand them. Well, that um, record is. It's it's the just whole what is album. it? What even is it? What is it? Is it folk? Is it jazz? Is it what? Like what? Uh, but you don't even care. It's no, not about that. The beginning, the first lines in Astro Weeks is what is it? Venture into the slipstream yeah. through the viaducts yeah. of your dreams. Yeah. The whole thing, you're instantly yeah. just yeah. like. And the lyrics of Sweet Thing, which no, is like, I know. which is like, um, <laughs> and I shall drive my chariot down yeah. your streets and cry. Yeah, it's hey, me, I'm dynamite, dynamite and I, don't, and know I why. don't know why. And you shall take me in your arms again and I will never grow so old again. It's just like, it's the most beautiful words, the most beautiful song. Um, and also for me, the personal connection. So if there could be any music for me, the last piece of music I hear on earth, I would happily close my eyes and die to this song. I think it's the greatest choice ever. You want to see something crazy? Yeah. Look what I had written in my notes to tell you the same line that you just quoted me. Uh, I thought if I ever got a tattoo, that would be it. I also like one that I, I've always wanted was uh, Ecstasy Surrounds You, This Time She's Found You. Where is that? Is that a van lyric? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Sick. So that was Sweet Thing by Van Morrison. Now I... I mean, you described it perfectly, so I don't really have much to add, except that, coincidentally, and this doesn't happen all the time with guests, I mean, it is, it is one of my absolute favorite songs, and oh it's gosh. me and my wife's, like, dream yeah. song together. Oh. And I came really, really late to Astral Weeks. She introduced mm. it to me, and, I mean, I've listened to it probably a thousand times mm. since then, and it's, it's one of the few, I mean, there's really, there's, I don't even know what you can compare it to, ones where, yeah, it is like divine, it's almost like a, a prayer, you yeah. know, you just, every time you listen, only maybe Leonard Cohen for me is a bit like yeah. that as well, where yeah. it's just, you, you listen to it almost over and over, you always find something different, and do you want to, so the craziest thing in the world is, I mean, this is just for perspective, he was 23. Yeah, it's 1968. 23 years old. I was thinking about that. You know when like a young techno guy like comes up and everyone's like, yo, he's... Yeah. I'm like... <laughs> Van Morrison, guys. Just Van Morrison. Think about that. And, oh you know, God. he's so, he's so, he's so Irish in that way. Like he's so humble. He'll, ne you know, he doesn't, you know, people consider it a classic record. He kind of shrugs it off. Oh my God. He's incredible. Every time I go to Ireland for years, every time I've been playing at Iron Ireland, I have those chauffeurs from that divine, you know, that, that it's like a chauffeur company there. Okay. Divine. I guess okay. it's like, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, know, some that. old rock. They've yeah. been doing all the big shows for years. So yeah. they, and I always get the same drivers over a period yeah. of 10 years. And so all I do is milk them for stories about Van. <laughs> about, they have stories about Leonard. They have all these guys that they're yeah. always driving. And yeah. I always get these. And I don't know. I mean, Van, you get some pretty good stories. Yeah. But it's, it's an unbelievable choice. And uh, wow. So I have a couple more things about... I mean, that's the music. And now okay. your dream party. Yeah. Now... What does this dream party actually look like? Is it outdoors, indoors? It's outdoors. Yeah. It's definitely outdoors. I'm not really, the, you know, I, I, I recently got married. And um, the reason, one of the actual reasons I got married was so that I could have everyone I love in one room to have a party. That, for me, was the incentive. Um, 
and it's probably the only chance in my whole life I'll get all those people in one room and I think it probably was my dream party because my best friend who's not a DJ DJed there was no big names there was just her playing all my favorite records but also all the people that were there were very different people there was all my family from Ireland uh, there was all my husband's family from Sheffield and then all of our mutual friends from London and there was a first dance to Stevie Wonder who's my favorite artist of all time really yeah then there Which was song? oh my god why can't i think <laughs> all i do okay all i do then there was a Kaylee. A what? A Kaylee. What's that? It's an Irish traditional... Uh, Kaylee is a Gaelic word for dance. Okay, okay. So there was loads of Irish music. You know, the Dubliners, the Pogues, Fiesta. I always put up on the Pogues. I have two big brothers listening to the Pogues a lot. As a child, I could not figure out for the life of me how that guy got on TV. Who, Shane McGowan? Yeah. He was, I read he his was, autobar- I he read was our family's hero. Really? Yeah, my brother's I, band supported him once, and it was like the biggest moment for our family ever. It grew on me. I love that Christmas song. Yeah. Oh. It was amazing. Incredible. Again, it's slightly van, like so poetic. He's a good lyricist. Anyway, so we had, you know, I had all my best friends from home doing Irish dancing and, and like, you know, doing linking arms and my dad doing all that. So that, for me, was amazing. Then we did, um, we did a conga. For me, every party should have a conga. Every good see, party should really, end with a conga. You're good with fun. I love fun. I'm a fun... I'm a master of fun, babe. Yeah. I love it. and I, I think it served you very well. I, I, it's I, a very good quality. I follow it. <laughs> I follow fun as a religion. <laughs> but it's, um, it I, I love being silly. I, I have a father who is also a, an Egypt, like a silly guy, and is not afraid to be silly, and I think I'm kind of attracted to... To people who can laugh at themselves and not take everything too seriously. Um, so yeah, so we had a conga. Everyone, grannies, you know, ev- everyone was in the conga. And for me, that was like the perfect night. You know, all ages, all colors, all creeds of people just in a room having the best time. Yeah, wedding parties are my favorite parties. They're also the only parties I dance at. I don't dance, William. No? no, not really. Do you ever dance when you're DJing? No. Oh, you know, I talked about internal dialogue. I liked your prayer move the other day. Oh, my God. I don't know. See, see this is stuff that just happens. I was DJing with Tiga, and I had my hands <laughs> inadvertently in a, in a prayer. And Tiga was like, why are you praying? <laughs> <laughs> and it was in the middle of a breakdown. I was like, I'm praying that they like it. That was good. That kind of sum, summed it all summed up. Summed it all up, yeah. But, yeah, so that, was, that would be my dream party, I think. As far as clubs and more kind of traditional, do you have, I mean, if this was, do you have, what if you had, could you choose an opening DJ that you would trust on your final night? Benji B. Benji B. I had a wedding party in London then after that, like a proper rave in a warehouse with, again, all my friends and we had all of our favorite DJs there. Benji B is one of my favorite DJs in the world. I like his selections. It's so broad. Mm. He's as good at playing kind of underground Detroit mm. stuff as he is playing kind of the best rap music, best soul music, the best funk music. And he played the perfect wedding set for us. The perfect wedding set. I also love um, one of my so favorite you DJs had in the your world. Dream party I already. did. I did have that. And then also one of my. Can I just talk about Errol Alcan for a quick second? Yes, because please. He is one of those DJs who taught me That's so much. That's what I want. I want some. Yeah, he, when, when I started out, him and he, him and I toured a lot together. He used to, he used to, we used to DJ a lot together, and we used to drive 
together and um, play records to each other really loudly in the car. I've got really vivid memories of hearing records for the first time with Errol like bombing up the M1 to various places, Middlesbrough and Wales and just... But t DJing with him taught me so much in terms of a man who is totally fearless. Yeah. In terms of a man who um, has knows his records, has the breadth, like mm. infinite breadth. Same, yeah. Um, I remember when I first saw his CD folders, I was like, Yeah, insane. I couldn't believe you. He had like a whole book for the Smiths. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. I had like two Smiths tracks, yeah. and I thought I was. Yeah. No, insane. <laughs> and and we'll drop any. You get, you never know what's around the corner no. when you watch him play. But also. He was kind of, for me, the first, you know, before you had Diplo shirtless, you know, on a table, you had Errol, yeah. you know, standing there, way shaking his CDJ yeah. in the no, air. No, it is true. You know, he was, a, he, he, was, was first, he was a showman. He was one of the first people who brought, I guess, it's an oversimplification, but the rock. Yeah. A bit of that rock before the Justice. Freddie Mercury before he to brought, the stage. He brought the rock, even with the jackets and yeah. the little t-shirts yeah. and the skinny jeans. But also the drama. So he yeah. was always the guy who would... Like, have his eyes on the lighting guy and be like, you, that light's down now, yeah. shouting people, put the lights yeah. down now, make them green, took them up. And I would be like, what, 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 what? And you, yeah. then you see the effect. And now, of course, he does these gigs where he's fully in charge of the lighting as well as the music, which makes total sense that he's got to that point. But, yeah, he taught me a lot. I loved, mm. I, I feel like I learned a lot from he him. He was a big influence on a lot of us. What about... Um, you are given for your last for your dream party slash last party yeah. you are given a VIP ticket to invite one person any person to attend I mean famous person alive dead anybody somebody that you would just you know for whatever reason you'd like to be at your party Stevie Wonder Stevie Wonder yeah he can come he can just be in the booth. That's possible, by the way. Shaking his head. Yeah. He could be loving it. That's doable. Can you imagine what a wonderful vibe he would bring? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, Stevie in the booth. Yes. Maybe he could get out his harmonica. <laughs> Come on. Can you imagine? It would be mind-blowing. Yeah. I, I, like just, I, just, I just think he's one of those people, like, that is, he's just magic. He's mm. a magic person. Yeah. No, he's beyond it, human. He's beyond that's for sure. no, flesh he, and blood. Yeah, no, he was he's making like bomb records when he was eight. Yeah. <laughs> but he just seems like such a beautiful soul mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. He can yeah. come. Um I'm happy he's still alive. Me too. That's I how think, I feel lately with some of these like real you know, I mean it's anyway, funny. we won't get we won't get into that, but no, it's just but nice no, you're it's right. nice, you know, when you when you you're talk right. about these real legends and these people that were so I mean just few, they're Aretha, it's coursing through their veins Aretha and they're still and here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and I had it, I interviewed Elton John recently. Oh yeah. And we talked about that. We talked about the people that are still alive. Um and, and he said he said Aretha and Stevie were were kind of like the ones we're still really lucky to have. And they're still performing. Yeah. Just about. I'm happy Iggy Pop's still around. Me too. He's yeah. the one that I really yeah. have. He's the one. Well, anyway. He's, yeah. one, he's the one I really don't want to lose right no. now. So when it's all over, your dream party is over. Do you go to the after? Well, let's say you go yes, to the after party. Of course I go to the after is party. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I only ask because I considered just going back to the hotel after my final yeah. party. But that's, no, no, um, no. Would you have a who's playing your after party? I guess Errol could play your after party. Errol could play at my after party. Because he, he didn't get the Benji slot. Yeah. Do you know who else would? Who? DJ Medi. 
Oh. Also, my top three DJs of all time. He, Maddie was amazing. For me, you know, we were talking about DJ. You were talking about fun. Mm. Like for me, he just was the personification of fun and good vibes. Yes. The way he danced. No, no, I, he, I, I loved watching him. He was like triple threat. He, oh. he had it all. But also, he had, you know, he would be playing like acid house and then he'd play rap. And then, you know, he was one of those DJs who could seamlessly take you on this journey. Um, his record collection was amazing. But most of all, it was just the kind of joy that radiated from 100%. him. I think that's where it his comes smile, from. His smile, his dancing. I just, yeah, I could have watched him for hours. Same. I remember when I met, when I got to be friends. Yeah, I remember specifically thinking, not so much on a friend. I mean, obviously, I adored him, but I remember there was a, there were very few DJs where I thought that their personal, it's not even charisma. It's like their aura, yeah, their joy, whatever, actually changes all the records. Like, like, and it really, and it, but it's funny because with DJing, there's that whole conundrum of like how, you know, fundamentally we all play other people's records and. You know, we've probably all played Blue Monday at some point. Yeah. You know, and but and really, but with pretty different results. And I remember Medi was a guy that, like, whatever he played, it was really like Medi was playing it, and it was a bit. He could he could play hard stuff, and it still sounded sexy and cool. Yeah. And he could play aggressive stuff, and it was still kind of it, it was never depressing. Yeah. Or, I remember once the first time I ever experienced that when I was really young. I went to DJ a New, Year, New Year's Eve, one of my first shows out of town. I was like 19 in New York. And after me, I played, I was playing like rave back then. And yeah. after me, Juan Atkins wow. came on. And Juan Atkins played like blistering techno, okay? Yeah. It was like, but he played it like he was dancing and he had some friends with him. They were dancing yeah. and they were women. And he was yeah. like a grown man. Yeah. And the whole experience was like, I, I stood there the whole time. I was like, it's so... It's the presentation. It's the pre yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just... It's a whole other layer of it's a whole other layer mm. of like deepness or whatever. Mm. It's no, not the greatest, so right. but so right. and Medi had it. Medi he had, had it. it. He had it, and he, and it. So much of it is, you know. I do say that I love to be, not maybe because I've been so exposed as a DJ on main stages and stuff. My favorite thing is to be in a dark room, mm. but I do think that having a DJ that radiates joy and looks like they are enjoying the music changes your experience of the music 100 percent. yeah i think that i mean i think that's also the challenge as you move further and further in your career as you find yourself with more parties or bigger yeah. parties or is really maintaining that if you can maintain that less you know more sober less on a level than your crowd it's kind of yeah it's it's the only thing you always have is the music which is why it's so important that you have to play the music that you love, love. because if you compromise and please the crowd all the time then you're miserable. I think that's the perfect, uh, perfect way to end it. I had one last question, which is when it's all over, when the last party's done and you're, you're finished and you went back to after party and now you woke up the next day, what, without the travel and without the performance and without, you know, searching for the records and all that, what is something that you think would emerge in your life? Uh, like part of a new chapter, either, you know, something you would do or something you've always wanted to do that maybe you couldn't. I want to write a book. That's what I've wanted to do all my life. Yeah. And I've never had the time. I've written like probably about 10 first pages of novels and never got, never got and further. And no novels? Fiction? Uh, yeah, fiction. Wow. That's the dream, to write a, a proper fiction, like grown-up fiction book. So in my, in my dreams, I'm going to make space for that sometime. 
I'd love to do that. When I get older, I want to learn how to write books and learn how to appreciate wine. That's my... Oh, and gardening. You need things to look forward to, right? Those are three very good things to yeah. look forward to. Mm. Well, I wish you all the luck. I have no doubt in the success of anything you uh, embark <laughs> on. And I loved your choices. Thank and you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. For rights reasons, my legal team has told me that we can't include audio in the podcast, but you can find all the tracks that we talk about on our SoundCloud and Spotify pages. Also a note that some of these episodes were recorded in the summer of 2018, so don't freak out if the parties they're talking about have already happened, or if people have passed away, or if there's some other small inconsistencies. We will all just have to do our best to accept that. This has been Annie Mac's Last Party on Earth with me, your host, Tiga. You know you're going to want to join me the next time when I'll be joined by Pete Tong. Last, last party.